Welcome to How We Did It, a podcast dedicated to dentists teaching dentists. This podcast is powered by ESS Dental Solutions, the nation's leading platform for outsourced dental billing and other services. All of the guests are winners of ESS Top Practice Award, who share their experiences, best practices, and what sets them apart in their communities. Their opinions and recommendations are their own, and you should consult with your own professional advisors with respect to your own practice. All right, welcome to today's episode or how we did a podcast, a podcast dedicated to dentists teaching dentists, featuring our top practice award winners. I am thrilled to introduce to you Dr. Brian Niche of Niche Dentistry. Happy Monday. Thank you for kickstarting your week with me. I'm so excited to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we can jump into the questions. First, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your practice and your dental journey. So if you want to speak a little bit about yourself and your background, maybe what initially brought you into dentistry and what your journey in the dental industry has looked like. Sure thing. Yeah. So I, um, I had early exposure to the profession. Uh, my dad's a dentist. So growing up, you know, I spent time around his office, got to get an insider look at the day to day, you know, what's involved with being a dentist, working with people, you know, on their oral health, that sort of thing. Um, so it was always something that I kind of had in my, in my mind or on the short list of, of professions that interested me. And over the years, it really just kind of solidified that that's what I wanted to do. So you needed kind of the usual educational circuit to get there. Um, a lot of great mentors along the way um, who I met, you know, through my dad and otherwise that really helped kind of uh, shape how I approach dentistry. And I would say definitely gave me um, a good kickstart into kind of where I am today. So um, after graduating dental school, I worked with my dad for a number of years, um, which was great because as you know, any, any dentist will know, you kind of, you learn the basics in dental school, but you know, maybe not as much as you think you're going to know going into it. Um, so it's, it was a great way to refine some skills. Um, and then I worked with a family friend and colleague, um, for probably about five years after that initial stint with my dad, um, just kind of worked out that that was going to be a good good fit for everyone, um, and uh, got to learn more about how he does things and just kind of get different perspectives. And which is neat because none of us are the same, and even if we have like a similar approach or philosophy to how we want to help people and approach healthcare, you know, everyone's going to be a little bit different just because we're all we're all unique. So. Uh, that was a good opportunity to really kind of refine my focus, my skill set. And then, you know, my dad, after about, well, almost 40 years of, of, of doing dentistry, decided, well, I think it's going to, I'm going to shift more towards part-time, uh, change up my day-to-day. And so the opportunity presented itself for me to uh, come back home, if you will, and take over his practice, which was really neat because, you know, there's was, there was, there was a lot of patients there who knew me, you know, when I was back in like elementary school, you know, coming in with my football pads on and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really kind of a neat thing. Um, family business, but also just really kind of that, that close knit dental family when you look at some of the long-term patients and that's where I am today. That was, uh, the start of this year. So we're coming up on about six months into that. 
um, yeah, it's been it's been really fun. That's awesome. That's so neat that it's kind of this full circle moment. You talked about how your interest in dentistry initially started um, visiting your dad at work and kind of being in his environment and then being able to take over it yourself. And people know you from elementary school. That's really sweet. Yeah, it's fun. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about the importance of mentorship and how mm -hmm. like no two dentists are the same. Um, so speaking of your practice, how do you differentiate yourself from other practices in your community and how are you sort of like involved in serving your community? Well, you know, I can't speak necessarily for, for every dentist and their motivations, but we really try to put the, the patient first in, in, in anything that we do. That's kind of the lens or the filter um, that, that anything that we're going to try to implement in our, in our practice or our operations is going to go through. So that, that, that ranges, I mean, it can, it can apply to, let's say, you know, dentists love to geek out on, on technology and, and, and new tools and things like that, which is pretty cool, especially in today's day and age. I mean, um, whether it be lasers or CAD cam milling, or even more importantly now, I think, um, from a, from an overall impact standpoint, it's still early, but like 3d printing and AI integration, which we're seeing, um, you know, really get into all kinds of industries, but that's, you know, that if not applied intentionally and thoughtfully, that's just going to be, you know, maybe some, some efficiencies and workflow, maybe a little flash in the pan in terms of cool factor, but is it really going to change how you can affect patient outcomes? Um, so looking at things like whether it's technology, how does that actually make it better for the patient? But perhaps more importantly and more and more central to what we do is meeting people where they're at, just like no dentist is the same, you know, no one is the same. So people are going to be coming in and you might have a tooth that's in a, a or, 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 or a mouth overall that's in a similar state of health or, or disease. And, you know, we as, as clinicians tend to get taught in a very like rote, programmatic, algorithmic way where this is where we are and therefore this is the step A, B, C, and D to get to that ideal outcome. But that doesn't really take into account a lot of patient modifiers, like what are their goals? What's their level of engagement going to be? Where are they at in their lives? Um, are they in a position where they can commit 100% to get to that quote unquote ideal outcome and then maintain it? Or, you know, we all have things in any given day, week, month, year that we're juggling. And so what, what resources do they have to commit to things? What's, what's a, a good outcome for where they're at. And you don't, you can't know that based on your, your formal training. So setting up a space where we can really listen to people, see where they're at. And then, um, equally as important, communicate with them. This is what's going on. These are your options. Here are the pros and cons based on all that. What questions do you have and what's going to be the best fit for you you know, now and then, and then moving forward into the future. So we really try to empower the patient in, in, in terms of their, their knowledge and understanding of what's going on. And, and, and taking that kind of a step further, we like to focus on why things are happening, you know, foundational stuff, root causes. Um, I love the term proactive prevention because there's a lot of dentists that, 
You know, they go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm minimally invasive or I'm, I'm conservative, which just means that in some sense, you're not, you're doing less until you're forced to. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's also that, that classic phrase of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm -hmm. And so if we can do some things now, it's not like we're doing nothing, but we're doing the small stuff to then prevent, you know, bigger things from popping up, at least to the, the best extent that we can. That in that way, we, you know, we're engaging with people, allowing them to have some, some ownership and some influence over these outcomes. And really in the global sense, being as, as non-invasive as possible, because we're trying to prevent some of that stuff. So it's really just kind of that, that holistic approach to the whole thing, yeah. um, incorporating all of these, these pieces of the puzzle that really has patient education, engagement, um, and, 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 and buying, if you will, at its, at its core. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love how you talk about just being patient centered. I think, especially in healthcare, the broad umbrella, it can be so easy to walk into a doctor's office and feel like just a number or just your mm -hmm. child. And I feel like there's a unique opportunity in dentistry for the dentist to sort of build these relationships that go beyond that with the patient. And it sounds like that's really important to you. Yeah. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head there because we have, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before where, you know, we've got patients who have been with us for, for 40 years. And I think it's very difficult to try to have, like, you know, you can, it's kind of like in house repair, like you can you can patch a wall in, in you know, a single sitting, but to really work with people and and get good outcomes, it takes an ongoing kind of long-term relationship. Um, and so we really try to set up our practice so that we can foster and facilitate these long-term relationships, um, whether it just be, you know, making it a comfortable place. And I don't necessarily mean like the, the dental spa, cause let's face it, there is no such thing as a dental spa. It's not, no one loves being at the dentist, but relative to what it can be, like it can be an enjoyable experience and something that's not going to turn people away just cause they're like, Ugh, I don't, I don't even want to go there. Um, and then just other things that make it easier, um, whether it be, you know, just your facility stuff, you know, the kind of the to and from easy parking building works out well, um, to things like, and this is where we've really enjoyed working with eAssist, where it's like facilitating working with patients insurance. Cause I'd say probably about two thirds of our patients are, are utilizing or trying to utilize some kind of insurance benefits. And it's, it's tough even for, for us to navigate that. So if we can help them, you know, really maximize all the resources they have at their disposal, then um, that's just kind of part of creating a, a, a low friction, ease of business environment. So you can work with people over long periods of time and actually see some really, really positive results. Sure. I love that. So switching gears a little bit, but I feel like it's along the similar lines. Um, within the field of dentistry, what would you say makes a top practice or what does that mean to you? Well, I think it would, it, it echoes some of the things that I was just saying where like, you know, you, you do, you do well by doing right by others. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of different dental practices that look at different metrics. I've, I've been through so many different, uh, you know, dental practice management seminars and things like that, whether I wanted to or not. Um, <laughs> Uh, where it's like, okay, well, this is what you do. And then this metric improves and this whole thing. I'm like, but how does that tie into like positive patient 
outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like a top practice is really you know, one that is serving people in, in meaningful ways. Um, and ultimately, if you're doing that and you're doing that well, and you're not messing up the other things like, you know, just making silly business decisions that put yourself in a financially precarious situation that then is going to negatively impact your other decisions, which then creates this, this sort of negative spiral. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, you can, you can pick different metrics, but to me, that's what, that's what makes for a, a top practice. And it becomes even more of a differentiator because like you alluded to earlier, healthcare in general, that trend is to try to homogenize everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've seen it occur over the past 30 years in medicine, and it's happening a lot in, in dentistry too, where you get this corporatization effect. You know, there's there's the there's the VC firms or the big you know, private equity that's coming in and they're buying up a lot of these private practices. You don't see mom and pop doctor's offices anymore. Um, and you're, you're seeing that same pressure come into the dental industry. You know, you're seeing it in, um, in like senior care. You know, I've got, I've got two grandmothers who are both in assisted living and, you know, you watch how these facilities in general, we've had to move them a couple of times because what once was a good place gets bought out by, you know, a big entity. They don't really, they're not there. They don't care as much. They're just looking at the business metrics. They try to squeeze things and, and ultimately like patient care goes down. So, um, I'd say that it's, it's always been a true thing that like, especially in healthcare, because we have this, you know, you're not selling smartphones to people. You're not selling them electronics where it's like, okay, well, if you sell them kind of a, a, a cheap electronic gizmo or doodad that ends up in the, the junk drawer, like you're not really negatively affecting their life that much, maybe a little frustration. But when you're talking about someone's health, like health is a gift and there's, there's some things that can't be undone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's really this like very heavy ethical burden on the type of work that we do where like you need to be doing right by others. Cause it's just, it's, it's that much more foundational. Um, and so that's, I think for me, that's, that's the ultimate metric. Um, and you know, I guess looking at things from a glass half full perspective, the fact that there's this pressure of, of it moving the other way makes it so doing that is, is a differentiator in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love the ethical approach to everything. I think you touched on how the landscape of dentistry is changing so much and to see a practice stay really grounded in patient centered care, I think is really admirable. Thank you. Yeah. So we are partnered through eAssist and obviously we help you guys on the back end and you touched a little bit about facilitating working with patient insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you speak a little bit on what initially brought you to eAssist and how having eAssist has impacted your practice? Absolutely. Yeah. So I I first became aware of eAssist with the in the previous dental office that I was working with because uh, they were utilizing your services um, before they just, eventually they just moved away from insurance completely. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of dental offices, they kind of get caught in this quandary because, you know, a lot of people do have dental benefits to, you know, try to work with, but it's, well, I'm, 
preaching to the choir because you, you guys over there know better than than anyone that it's just it's it's getting tougher and tougher to work with you know insurance companies whether it's dental or otherwise if you've ever tried to actually you know get some kind of a of a, a payout or a claim for something that's like well this is kind of what i'm paying for right it seems like it should be relatively simple and it's like trying to get blood from a turnip it's like you know it's just it's just tough you know i had one the other day that i mean usually i'm not too involved with the individual claims because let's face it i would probably just screw it up but there was one where it's like we were doing a a, a bridge a maryland bridge for a front tooth for this gentleman and we submitted the claim and they came back and they're like, well, what other teeth is he missing? I'm like, well, I, uh, I can figure that out, but like, how is that even relevant? You know, right. just, sometimes they're just kind of throwing whatever stuff they can to try to derail the whole process so they don't, they don't have to pay out. And that's, I mean, I get that at a certain extent they've got to take in more money than they pay out because that's just the business, you know, mechanics of it. But still, it's just, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing to navigate um and so with eassist you know i saw how the expertise that that you all provide really made that process a lot easier um and it becomes something where if you're as a as a dental office trying to let's say employ like one full-time person to do nothing but manage dental claims mm -hmm. like that becomes very very onerous um and it means that you know on a line item in terms of a business expense like it's it creates some burden and then that means that there's going to be pressure in other areas where then maybe you can't be as focused on delivering just that optimal patient experience so um it's a combination of just like division of labor let the people you know who are excellent at what they do just do just that um and uh yeah so like i said originally seen seen y'all's work with previous office and then um my you know, my dad's office was was using eAssist when I when I transitioned over, and and part of it, one of the hurdles that we ran into that we didn't even think was going to be that big of a deal was like now all of a sudden there's a new provider, and the insurance companies are like, well, who's this? We don't really care. We don't really want to know. But like, you know, let's just that, that'll be another roadblock. And so right. so great in helping that uh, with that transition. And um, yeah, so it's 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 been a huge part. I. I would be looking for ways to try to move out of facilitating insurance, if not for, for e-assist, because it just becomes mm -hmm. hard. But now it's something that we can continue to provide for our patients and, and they really appreciate it. Um, and it just kind of helps everyone out. Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. I, it's always great hearing how e-assist is helping um, providers like yourself just spend more time on what matters, which is patient care. Mm -hmm. So. One other thing, if if I may, if I may add, with eAssist is that I've worked with a lot of dental uh, services uh, companies, and one thing that has always really impressed me about eAssist is that everyone that I've ever interacted with, um, uh, in, 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 including you, it's it's you can tell there's this very like people truly care. There's a very personalized feel to it all. Um, and you don't get that with everyone that you work with. I think we all, you know, have had plenty of instances in our lives where we work with people where it's like, you know, we do feel like just a number or there's just like this, uh, you know, sort of Im impersonal wall in between you and the other person. And that's just, it, it's been the total opposite of that working with the assist. And I think that's somewhat rare. And so I think it's, it's definitely worth pointing out. 
Well, thank you. We definitely love what we do and we love working with providers like you. Likewise. Awesome. So this is our last question and I'm very excited to hear your response. Um, but being a provider that has an established office, if you were in conversation with a provider who was fresh out of dental school and maybe pondering the question of where do I go from here, what would be your advice to them? Great question. So the, I think the, um, the conditions on the ground for dental school grads, you know, has, has changed a lot, um, over the past like 20 years. Um, in a nutshell, you could just say it's kind of the same as it is for college grads where, you know, you're, the debt loads are very high for a lot of people. Um, and the market dynamics have, have changed quite a bit. So I think like with anything, I mean, this could be for dentists, this could be for, for grads, uh, in, in any, you know, profession or discipline vocation, um, would be one, try to, as soon as you can, but don't rush it, figure out what it is that you like doing. Um, cause you know, if you were talking dentistry as a category or business or whatever, like these are very broad categories. It, dentistry sounds like it's pretty specific and, and, and it is in some sense, but it's also very broad. Right. Um, and so figuring out what it is that you like to do, and that could mean one clinically, like, do you like doing extractions or not? Do you like doing root canals or not? I mean, you don't have to do everything. Um, and, you know, figuring out what you do like doing so that you can focus your efforts on that um, and really um, train yourself and, and, and specialize and refine will give you, I think, a lot more enjoyment in your day to day. And it also help guide you in terms of what kind of day-to-day work you're looking, you're, you know, you're seeking out, uh, whether that's practice ownership or whether you don't necessarily want to go down that road and you want to do more of an associateship. And they both, I've done both. They both have their, their merits. Um, but I think like, let's say you wanted to own a practice, but you know, you wanted to clinically to do a, B and C, but not D, um, you would be more, I think you'd have more enjoyment being an associate, but doing the type of clinical stuff you want to do versus being a practice owner where you got to do all the stuff that you don't want to do. So really just figuring out what it is that you want to do. And then the other thing which kind of ties into that is try to find good mentors. Um, I was really fortunate that I kind of had a lot of those uh, built in because Mm -hmm. of the familial connection, Um, but find good mentors. because you're not necessarily going to copy them, but if you can kind of pick out all the things that they do that you really find to be um, uh, effective or just in sync with how you do things, that's going to give you um, an, an accelerated development process so you can kind of get to that point of um, I, I don't think we ever truly arrive, but you kind of get to that level of like, okay, I'm, I'm very proficient in what I'm doing. Um, and that's where it becomes a little less stressful and, and a lot more fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I think those are really practical tips that will resonate well with our audience. So thank you for sharing. I do have one last question. I know that was the last one, but seeing this shift in the dental landscape, if you were talking to a new provider who knew that they wanted to implement a practice of their own and being Mm -hmm. a practice, what would be your advice? 
Um, I think that because if you if you're going to be in practice ownership, um, really like you're you're even though it's well, you're a part time dentist and you're a part time small business owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's in many ways like just as much that you have to focus on just from like the economics and mechanics of running a business um, at, you know, as, as the mechanics of doing clinical dentistry. Mm-hmm. And so I think with that, you know, you can apply a lot of the, the tried and true um, guidelines of, of how to um, sustainably set up and grow um, um, a small business. So, you know, they always talk about like having like a business plan. You know, I think mm-hmm. that is in part, um, you know, clinically knowing what you want to do so that if you are buying a practice or you're starting a practice, you can have that direction very early on. Um, but I see a lot of, I've seen a lot of dentists get into a situation where either they've, they've bought too much practice or um, one way or the other, they get, they get more into debt than they probably should at least early on and then it's those business dynamics and financial pressures of of um essentially keeping that going that then lead them into sort of a different path than they would have just organically picked for themselves so um i'm a big fan of of trying to you know find if you do want to take over a practice if you don't want to do a startup, like if you do a startup, do your market research so you can you can start small and you can grow organically. Um, if you are going to buy one, um, try to buy something that is maybe under under leverage, that it's a relatively blank canvas that you can then kind of shift into what you want um, and and grow it sustainably. You know, you don't have to get everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't you know? In other words, don't don't get yourself in a situation where now the business is is steering you where it take wants to take you versus you still being the one driving the ship. Yeah, that's great advice. And it really is twofold when you step into practice ownership. I like what you said about being a part-time dentist and a part-time small business owner. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It was a pleasure getting to know you more and I loved hearing your responses. It was a really great conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Of course. And again, congratulations on that top practice award. Thanks again. This podcast is sponsored by eAssist Dental Solutions, a platform dedicated to helping dentists get paid faster and get paid more. Dental insurance billing services provided through the eAssist platform can relieve your dental insurance headaches, get your over 90 insurance receivables near zero, and help you collect 100% of what you are rightfully owed by insurance companies. To learn more about how the eAssist platform can help your practice or to schedule a free consultation, please visit dentalbilling.com.